Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Good morning. This is your host, Vicki Oldman. How are you all doing? I am okay. <laughs> I say that because we are at the beginning of the last quarter of this year. I cannot believe we are in October. And I find myself juggling a lot with work, personal affairs, family affairs. It's just a lot. And trying to be a good relative, I really am trying to be a good relative to my family, to friends who are in need, with my colleagues, my business partners. It's a lot. And what I was reflecting on before coming on is I have fallen off. (laughs) the wagon to some degree with my meditation. I really do my best to sit in silence and I can tell. I can tell how that affects my my work and how it affects, you know, what I'm doing. So I tell myself I need to get back to it because um, I, I don't want to get to a place where I'm completely mentally exhausted. And I'm hearing that all over though from f- folks that I know. They're just tired. People are just tired. So I really hope you're doing your your best to taking care of yourself. I wanted to read this poem. Lately, I've been reading poems to you all, and I'm not really like the poem queen or anything like that, but this book, um, The Ojibwe Meditation, was actually given to me by a friend, and she gave it to me as a gift, and I love it. Mari Roney, if you can hear me, I'm giving you a shout out. You're with me more than you think. (laughs) So uh, I want to read a poem from there. And I think it's so fitting to today's topic or our guest and what she does. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Then I'm going to introduce our guest. And again, this is coming from the book, Amber's One's Ojibwe's Meditation. Okay, let me read this to you. There is such a powerful eloquence in silence. True genius is knowing when to say nothing, to allow the experience, the moment itself, to carry the message, to say what needs to be said. Words are less important, less effective than feeling. Hmm. When you can sit in perfect silence with someone, you truly know how to communicate. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. It literally, when I read this, I was like, oh, it took me back. Like, I don't know how old I was, maybe five, six, seven elementary years. It took me back literally to a memory with my nullies. Nullies is my grandparents on my dad's side. They didn't have no running water, no electricity. And so at the end of the day, after we eat, the kerosene lamps would come out and they would turn on the kerosene lamps. Everybody would be kind of sitting in their different spaces and we'd just be sitting there in silence. Every now and then somebody would make a comment and, you know, we'd laugh or, you know, my nullies would tell a story and then there'd be silence And, and everybody was okay with that. And there was just such a beautiful way of like connecting. And so when I read that, it, I, it, that's where I went. My head went right to that moment. And it was, it's so beautiful. It's just like safe, comforting, 
not a lot of jibber-jabber, but just so much richness in that. So this is actually a beautiful transition for me to introduce my guest because, again, my friend, Mari Roney, who gave me that book, she was actually the one who had mentioned my guest's name and what she did. And I had never heard of her and never heard of what she was doing in the sense of how she's doing this work. We'll talk a little bit about that. And so I started researching her and I was like, oh my God, that she would be amazing to come on. We so need to hear from a woman like her and what she's doing. I feel like she's done so much already uh, for a young woman. Um, So I'm going to introduce our guest. Her name is Monique Castro, and she is a sister in the sense of she's also Dene. She's Navajo. She's a citizen of of the Dene Nation and also Mexican and was born and raised in LA, yep, (laughs) California. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also, which I find amazing, a certified coach. And uh, she also is a social justice uh, consultant, facilitator, advocate, and has well over 14 years of experience in the areas of health, wellness, community organizing, and education. And as I get to know her through our social media platforms, I am, you know, becoming more intrigued and like how she's building her team and how she's doing this work. So without further ado, I would love for you all to meet my new friend, Monique Castro. Monique, say hi to folks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And what an amazing like kickoff to um, like the intro was so beautiful. So thank you so much. And I didn't know the story about that's how you got connected with me. So that was really a uh, beautiful to hear and just a great warm welcome from you. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, the other thing I forgot to tell folks is that you and I are also have another connection and these connections are like legit people, like people I love and adore. They're good people. And so Chris, Chrissy Castro, if you're listening, shout out to you. She's also connected to Monique. And so good people. You have you have good people around you, Monique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chrissy is my sister cousin. So love. Um, yeah. Love that we can continue to make connections through our relatives. Absolutely. So thank you, Ayaha for coming on. Thank you, my sister, for coming on. Why don't you tell uh, our guests a little bit more personally in, in terms of who you are. You're in, you know, I, I did more of a professional introduction. Why don't you give folks a sense of a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, which is Tongva, Tongva territory. But my family um, is, when we talk about my family on my Navajo side, my Diné side, is um, in and around the Winter Rock area. So for any other Navajos out there <laughs> that know um, the, the res, um, my family lives off of Coal Mine Road, um, right by the transportation center. It's where, um, you know, my great-grandmother's home is and many of my relatives uh, still reside. And um, of course, um, folks have moved in and traveled into different places now, but um, that's still like the core and the foundation of our of our family. Um, and then also on my Mexican side, my family is uh, originates f- 
from the the Mexican state of San Luis Portasi. And my grandfather was born and raised in um, Tolengua, Texas, a little mining town. So interestingly, both my grandparents came from um, mining mining communities, um, which you know has its own history. I won't go into it, but um, there was a lot of parallels that I learned of my grandparents. I share about these two grandparents, and I'll share their names: uh, Mary Esther Dinyazi Castro and my grandfather Manuel um, Savala Castro Sr. Because they are just the the foundation to our family. The really the reason and everything um, for what I do, the work that I do. I was gracious. I was gratefully and so honored to have been raised by them since I was a baby. Um, they. Um, essentially adopted me when I was um, when I was born. So I was uh, I have a lot of memories, respect, and just um, so much gratitude for them. So I'm sure I'll share more about them throughout our time together today. Um, but Grandma and Grandpa came um, left the res actually um, during the 50s um, after they had their second child and decided to move to Los Angeles. So it was during that relocation era, that relocation time. And um, my grandfather's brother lived in Los Angeles and said, hey, you know, you should come and move this way. There's some opportunities here. So grandma and grandpa, um, you know, put their two children, my oldest aunt and uncle, in their pickup truck, and they headed to Los Angeles. Um, And, you know, soon after had their other three children here, um, including my father. And so that's kind of their journey to Los Angeles. Um, On my mother's side, my family has been in LA um, probably about four or five generations, so definitely a longer history there, and um, in the community of Lincoln Heights. So to this day, my family is still very much connected and, and living in the area of Lincoln Heights, which is northeast Los Angeles. Um, definitely like Dodger Town. <laughs> the Dodgers just won last night, thank goodness. Um, so, you know, our family has grown a lot here in Los Angeles, but you know, both my grand, my grandfather and my grandmother that I was raised by left their home communities to really start a new life um, and grow their family. And that was beautiful. And it also came with its consequences or challenges as well and struggles. Um, being in a big city with very little resources um, and away from family was definitely challenging. Um, but both um, were very great at ensuring that we knew where we came from and that we connected with our family, um, our my Mexican side by family that now currently resides in um, El Paso, Texas, and then of course our family back home on the res. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about <laughs> kind of like the movement to Los Angeles. How did our family? Um, how did our family start kind of building our our foundation here in in this uh, big city? So I definitely consider myself an urban native. Um, <laughs> that, that's a that's a, definitely an experience <laughs> um, in itself. Uh, and yeah, and so this has been my community, um, you know, growing up. And and yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I'm sure I'll be able to share more throughout our our time together. I love it. Thank you so much. I giggle because I, my brothers. Uh, who well one of them who lives on the res now he calls me now a, an urban native he's you're an urban now <laughs> it's just because I'm not living on the res and I'm like hey man I I grew up on the res I can outdo you no problem <laughs> <laughs> yes. don't don't try to test me you know so 
growing up, you know, uh, in, in Los Angeles and knowing that you have family on the res, how often would you come back home to the res and what was that like for you? Yeah. So I remember the first time I traveled back home to the res, it was a place that grandma always talked about and she visited very often. And um, I remember just missing her and thinking like how a week felt like eternity when she was away from the ho- from the house and how nothing seemed to function right when Aww. she was gone. <laughs> um, and then when, you know, but I was always, I was pretty young um, when she used to make those trips. So I, at some point she's like, you know, I'm going to take you back. So I was about seven years old when she took me for the first time and we took the, uh, the train and, um, and that was, that was just a beautiful experience with her. Um, and it was, it was so different. Like she kind of prepared, uh, prepared me in the sense of like, it's different from a city, Monique, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? And so, yeah, it was very different. Um, but I had such an amazing time and I could, I just remember playing with all my cousins and, um, all of the homes in our family are like pretty close to one another. So all the cousins came to visit Grandma Mary, who is from LA. You know, she's kind of like a little celebrity out back when she would visit. <laughs> so everyone came to visit. We had like cookouts and everything. And I remember one of the things that stood out to me the most is that they called soda pop. And I was like, Grandma, why do they call it pop? <laughs> she's like, that's how we refer to it out here. And I was like, so it was like all these little things. And I was like, what? Like, why, why does auntie have to go put on the heater? Like, why don't you just put, you know, put on the, the stove, um, put fire, uh, wood in the stove being in a city. Like we had those, we have gas, um, gas, um, heating. So I had so many questions. <laughs> um, and so she explained to me, yeah, we know our family still hauls wood and just, you know, it was just about at this time, it was like maybe 10 years prior that they had uh, running water. So she was explaining to me the differences in the different settings. And I was just so like, wow, this is amazing. This is so different. You know, Um, I learned a lot and also was so curious. So after that, um, we went back a few other times um, through my teenage years. And then when I was in college, I wanted to take a trip on my own. So me and my cousin, Melissa, decided to take our own road trip and um, do a full like visit. And now we're older, understood more. So now we go, well, prior to the pandemic, we were going at least once a year to visit for at least like a week or so, sometimes twice a year. Um, I haven't visited back for the past about two and a half years at this point, but yeah, that's, that's been our experience. And my cousins are always like, why do you want to come over here? It's so boring. Like we're going to go visit you in LA. You have all the fun stuff. I'm like, it's really not that fun over here. Like, I'm like, it's so exhausting. And I'm like, I like to go back home to like rest. Like all I want to do is just hang out in my auntie's house and my grandma's house over there and just chill. And they're like, this is boring. Like, I'm like, no, it's not. It's so grounding. And I love it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so it's always funny with my, my cousins back home when they're like, why do you want to come here? And I'm like, why do you want to come here? This city is like too, it's like a rat race over here. You don't want to be in this city. (laughs) (laughs) So we're always like appreciating each other's spaces. Luckily we can like, Mm. you know, visit one another and, um, share those experiences. So I'm grateful for that because I didn't Mm. realize that not everyone had that opportunity and those, um, family and those connections to be able to go back home that way. And I do. So I'm, I feel very privileged and blessed for that. 
Yes. I, I mean, so many things I want to touch on what you've just shared. Like one is just sort of like the whole, eh, right, relationships. And <laughs> it just took me back to like at times when families were so big and everybody would come together and eat and just have a good time and it's just being connected, right? And so much has changed and a, a lot of us have moved away, right, from the res. And so it's just, it's just, it's different. It's like you have to be really intentional to bring family together. And also I love, I love the, the story of like, you know, new experiences, you know, you're going to the community and, you know, hearing the language like pop right? There are just certain things are like even slangs, right? Like when I go see my cousins and, and Hopi, they be, <laughs> they just have different ways of um, teasing and you know, using uh, different words to express. Oh my um, goodness. The teasing. <laughs> that was so funny because I'm like, oh, this is where my uncles like here in LA get it from, like where my dad and I'm like, this is where they get their, like how they're so funny because everyone was always teasing each other and like, yeah. like so hilarious. So I started to see like, oh, like all the similarities, right? Like that were mm. also here in LA. So no, thank you for to, for reminding <laughs> me about that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, they say when they tease you a lot, that means they really like you. They want to see how, how much they can, <laughs> you can hold you, right? And the other thing that you said that I thought was so, so true. I love how you noted, like how you guys appreciate each other's world. And I totally agree with you, like going back home it's so grounding. It's a different kind of like relaxing. Yeah, it's very grounding. Um, one yeah. other thing that I didn't mention, but I think is like, so I just a great memory. A lot of memories are coming back as we're talking is, you know, being in LA, grandma um, didn't speak Navajo to us. And, but she always prayed in Navajo for the family before meals, before, um, you know, if there was any blessing that was needed, she always was the one who prayed and she prayed in Navajo. But I remember that experience that it was just to see her with her sisters, her cousins and relatives and being able to speak Navajo the entire time was just a beautiful and like forever memorable experience. Um, And I remember just thinking, like, what are they saying? You know, I would just like they're probably making fun of us because they were always laughing. But it was, yeah, those are also some really beautiful mm. memories that I had and um, I'm really grateful for. Mm. So speaking of your grandma and your grandpa, I just want to shout out to them, right? The, the love that they had, having them take care of you in growing up, that must have been different because like I, you would know, go back to my Nellie's on the week, on, not the weekends, but like on the holidays or the summer breaks there was a point where we were living there too. It's different, you know, with the, with your grandparents, you know, they, they, they get on you, but in a different way. Like, I don't know, I think of my grandpa's like, they'll say things in Navajo, like you shouldn't do that or you should do this. You just kind of know by the tone of what you should and shouldn't do. And it's so different than when a parent, like your actual parent get on you. So your grandparents, beautiful souls have raised you. And, you know, so you've got like <laughs> the direct access to wisdom, right? And how they have navigated w- with you on this journey. What do you, what do you feel like you've gained from them and how have they helped you to kind of lead you to where you're at to this day? Wow. That is, 
such a powerful question because there's like so many ways that they have. Um, you know, grandma and grandpa, and, and you're right, like I had direct access to so much wisdom and experience and love and compassion. Like I got to see and just be with them all the time. And that as a kid, right, when I was little and I was also longing for my parents, I didn't necessarily understand what I had, right? Because my experience was like this, my grandma, grandpa was my parents, but I also was like, well, what's what's going on with those those other two folks that made me, <laughs> you know, like, where are they at? But grandma and grandpa not only um, stepped up in so many ways for me, they always were so loving and compassionate to my parents and um, made sure that they were included in my life and in the ways in which they were able to be. Um, what I witnessed my grandparents both be were a, a strong foundation to our family, as well as just giving so much love and compassion and acceptance to so many people. And what I mean by that is not just their family, right? It was like friends of the family and everybody was family <laughs> here in LA. Like our house was the go-to place for meals, for support, for guidance. Mm-hmm. And grandma and grandpa always had their doors open for that. Sometimes I was like, why are there so many people spending the night at our house again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or, um, why are we, you know, why are we giving away all of our things? <laughs> but, it, you know, it was, and grandma would say, because we have more than we need and, and we um, we have also a lot to offer. But I also felt like, well, we, we, we need that too, right? She's like, no, we'll have more. Like, you know, there'll be more from where this came from. It's important that we also take care of others. So that was a huge mm-hmm. lesson, um, you know, just something my grandparents both offered was like just a lot of support to others, you know, um, whatever that might be without judgment. And um, I really hold on to that today as like just something that was very foundational to who I am and my values. Um, Grandma and grandpa were always family is first, family is important. And family always meant the community. It wasn't just like, you know, just us here. Um, grandma and grandpa's home was also the main place that everyone went to. And also when someone needed somewhere to, to, um, to stay. So we had a lot of relatives, a lot of relatives who have, um, came and, you know, needed to get on their feet again. Um, and our home was that place for them to, to do that. So just a lot of, a lot of love for people, um, and wisdom that they shared with folks. So, those are things that are huge in who I am today. And um, I do think they could have had some more boundaries with some things. <laughs> now that I know more about boundaries, <laughs> I'm like, um, I don't know if that was like, you, can, you know, you could have a little bit more boundaries there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I also didn't realize until I was older that we lived in poverty, Right. And the reason why I didn't realize that was because I never felt like we didn't have any, like, I felt like we always had more than we needed. And grandma and grandpa reminded, like, no, we have what we need. We have food on the table, a roof over our head. Like, we had the basic necessities, but we also didn't have a lot of financial resources for extra things that I wasn't aware of. And I, I think I didn't miss because there was just so much love in our family. 
Um, there was also challenges, of course, with um, just different things that our family had to ex- had experienced too, living in a city. But um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I guess I never felt like I had I, I never felt like I went without because of just who they were and how they showed up for me as well as for so many other people. I love I love what you said about how grandma and grandpa really said family is community. You know, like when you think about each of us and, you know, individually, right? It starts with us and how your grandparents modeled so much love and compassion. You know, it really was taking care of the community, whatever the community is in, in that space. I just think that's so beautiful. And and how they model that is, you know, it. I get what you're saying about like when you, you know, according to Western definition of poverty, that was the case, I think, for a lot of folks. And having the the richness of family and connection and the sharing is so much more in terms of wealth than we can ever imagine, you know, as, as, as we're looking and reflecting back on that. So thank you for sharing that. So that is sort of part of how you've been defined, you know, growing up with grandma and grandpa and the experience of going back and forth. How did you find your calling and this work that you're doing now? Yeah. So there's like different parts of that, of that kind of that thread, I guess you can say. Um, when I think back now where I'm at today and think back to my younger self, I've kind of always been that person, both in my family and friends as the go-to person to talk to or to give support or to show up for other people. So I think it was really early on, but of course, when I was younger, like say even middle school, high school, even early college, I had no idea what a therapist was. I had never heard of therapy before. I'd never been to therapy before. Um, But it was in my, when I was in my undergrad program, I had initially started off in one major, found out that really wasn't for me. Um, I had majored in, um, sorry, criminal justice. I wanted to be a probation officer. And the reason why I wanted to be a probation officer was because my mom had been in and out of um, jail and had been in and out of prison several times. And she always had a probation officer. And I seen how shitty they were to her and and how the lack of support. And I wanted other people to have a better experience. I wanted to support people. So that I was very, very aware of early on of like, I want to support other folks, particularly um, folks who are um, you know, experiencing this, this, um, you know, being in, just having different life challenges that might, um, result in them being incarcerated and how do they get support to be back with their families? So I knew that I wanted to do that, but I didn't really know at that time, the route, the different ways of doing that. But, um, so I majored in in criminal justice and I remember my professor, my first class ever, 8 a.m., I would never take a class at 8 a.m. again, um, said to the class, if you're here to support folks, if you're here to want to help people, this is not 
the major for you? Because in this field, we punish people. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't want to punish people. I wanted to help. So I, I was sad, but also I appreciated what he shared because that was like the turning point of I needed to get out of this major because I actually want to help people and not punish them. Um, I, so I was kind of on a journey after that of like, what is, well, how do I do that? What is the, how do I change my major? So in that um, experience, and I'll kind of back up a bit, I'm also a first-generation high school graduate and a first-generation college graduate. So I'm navigating this school system and all these things without any guidance or support. I'm kind of just figuring it out as I go. So I remember taking my first psychology class, um, probably my sophomore year of, of school at this point, and I was just like instant in love with the field. Um, with I, I just connected with the, what they were sharing. I was so intrigued about the brain and um, how it, you know, changes and adapts. And um, there was just so many things I was just like fascinated by. And I was also on this kind of search of understanding my parents' um, substance use and addiction problems and how that resulted in me not having them, you know, in my life the way that I that I wish I did. So I, um, I was always wanting to understand them more and how one actually at the time to like, how do I help them? Um, but what I was discovering in that is really, um, so much more, um, of course that it did support my understanding and forgiveness of their mistakes or I don't say mistakes, but the choices that they made. Um, so, it was definitely like a healing journey for me in those early years in my undergrad. After I graduated with my, so I ended up changing my major, um, got a degree in psychology because I, at that point knew this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to study psychology, but I didn't know yet how, I, what was going to be my next steps. I had never thought about grad school ever <laughs> until maybe the last semester of my undergrad studies. It was brought up to me by a professor who just really took a lot of um, interest in, or I would say, yeah, just interest in me and had asked me, like, have you thought about graduate school? And I'm like, well, what is that? And she explained to me what it was and that she thought I would be, it would be a great opportunity for me to go to, um, that I should continue my education into a grad grad program. At this point, I am burned out from undergrad. So I'm like, more school? <laughs> Like I thought I thought I'm done here. Um, but I kept that in my mind. I didn't go into grad school right away. I took a year off to kind of work and use my degree uh, and see what I really wanted to do. And it was from that point um, in working with one of the, tri the tribal TANF programs here in Los Angeles as a case manager, I instantly knew that I wanted to continue to work within our community um, in supporting folks and, um, decided to go into a licensed marriage and family therapy program to get my master's degree. So in 2011 is when I started my master's degree program. Um, again, not sure what I was getting into. Didn't know how long the program was going to be. Didn't know how many hours of clinical supervision I was going to need. Um, just kind of went in trusting that this was the right route. And, um, Halfway through the entire program, I'm like, what did I get myself into? Um, mostly because of the time commitment. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I 
had also worked full-time my entire undergrad, went to school full-time, and I was doing it again, full-time work and full-time school, and I was just like burning out. Um, And so in the next part of this, of the story is that in my grad program, part of it, you have to uh, seek therapy as part of your training very smart that they do this. And um, so I sought out my first therapist and I was looking for a native therapist, of course, because I wanted to work with someone. I want, I wanted my therapist to be someone that I felt I can connect with and was unable to find that because there wasn't any native therapist in private practice. And, um, and a, th- a few therapists that I knew were already like colleagues or community members that I was very familiar with. So I couldn't because of the dual relationships, I couldn't ask them to be my therapist. So that was kind of the, um, when I started thinking about, oh, we actually need therapists in private practice, (laughs) native therapists in private practice. And um, I think I started kind of setting those intentions at that point for what is now Indigenous Circle of Wellness. So a bit of a long story, but um, that's kind of it's not, I wouldn't say there was any one moment. It was just a, a thread or a continuum of many moments in my life where it kind of, this is where it, it, this is like how the direction of where I'm at today. Well, I love the fact that you set intentions and, (laughs) and now you have co-created or created this Indigenous Circle of Wellness, which I think is amazing. So congratulations on that. That's a big deal. And I totally agree with you, like in terms of finding a therapist, right? I I am always seeking for a native therapist, you know, even if it's a man, you know, <laughs> just somebody that I know that I can connect with and understand sort of like the, the cultural nuances. And I think what you guys are doing is fabulous. And I know that you only serve in California, which makes me sad. I'm like, I hope you guys go nationally, you know, at some point or that. I don't know what that inquires, but our, it requires in terms of doing that. But I want to just lift you all up for doing this in your vision and making it happen. What intrigues me about this this work that you're doing is the the indigenous lens. And so, how are you all doing this work, therapy, counseling, from an indigenous lens? Because it makes me think about like how the Navajo, they have like the four four colors, the four sacred directions, and like they all mean something. And then thinking about our ceremonies that we have, you know, culturally before therapy, I, I really believe, and this is my personal opinion, that the ceremonies were really a form of like wellness and therapy because we're in a place of where we can be vulnerable and not be judged, where we're releasing to some degree, depending on what's going on. So I'm curious about how you all are doing this work and how are you, are you integrating those elements in, in the practice? And tell me, tell us that. Yeah. So I just want to go back to what you shared, which is our ceremonies have been you know, the past and current, like that is, that has always been part of our wellness, right? So I think when we think of more now in contemporary times, we think of therapy as a support for wellness, but our cultures, our communities have always known 
and had beautiful practices that ensured and supported our recentering, right? So that we're back in balance. And um, this is exactly what Indigenous Circle of Wellness is, you know, wanting to support is for folks to reconnect with that, whatever that might be for them in their community, their tribes and their um, families, because there's so many teachings that Um, that we have. Some families have these teachings that have been kind of, you know, kept secret in the family because of fear of judgment or, um, you know, we just know that colonization has really made a lot of, it made it challenging sometimes for us to be open, to share with even one another. Um, But what we're finding and noticing now is that folks are wanting to reconnect now, some community members, like, you know, especially full family members who, like my family, who have access to ceremonies back home, um, you know, it's part, it might be part of their regular life. Um, but for especially urban natives, like it, it isn't, right? We don't always have that same access. So like, what does that mean to someone here in a city to reconnect? And it's, I would say everyone's on a different part of that journey and reconnection. What are job or what we're trying to really support folks with is what does that mean to them, right? So we're not necessarily creating the ceremonies for them, but in our sessions, in our therapy is, well, how can you, like, what are you reconnecting with? How can you re-indigenize your life and space? Like, whether that's learning a few words in your language, is it um, cooking food that your great-grandmother left a recipe for? Um, is it, you know, songs, is it being in community spaces with other native family or other native, um, community members? So it's really about that, those connections and, and reconnecting. Um, so, and again, everyone's on a different, um, kind of part of their journey of what that might be for them. So in a few other ways that we do this at Indigenous Circle of Wellness is that we do a lot of community events and workshops so that folks do have the opportunity to connect with other Indigenous people so we can learn with one another, share and build community together. So we do this in, you know, wellness circles. We have beating, um, wellness beating classes together where we can share stories and learn about each other's um, families, like those deep connections, right? Right. I, I think of it, it's like what grandma used to have in bringing people together. It's like we can do this in, in these um, community spaces as well. So it's it's about connection and support um, that we're really offering. And not everyone wants to do therapy. That's totally fine. We have folks who participate in our programming and might not want therapy. Or maybe they're not ready. They're just like, no, that's not for me right now maybe eventually. And sometimes that is like, you know, you see down the line a few months later, like, you know what, I'd really like to try this therapy thing. (laughs) Like, okay, come right on in. Um, And then for other folks, they'll do therapy, individual work for their own uh, wellness and healing. And then they're like, oh, I noticed you're having these programs. Can I attend? Like, absolutely. So it's creating those, um, that access and those bridges for folks, wherever that might be. Because, you know, we, we all know, well, we might not know exactly, but I think in two, like in our heart, we know what we need, like the support we need. And um, we're, I would like to say we're one of many different options to that connection. 
Thank you for for that. I appreciate you going back to, you know, level setting with your thoughts about ceremony and how that's interconnected. And also really appreciate how you are pulling the wisdom from from the individuals that you are working with about asking them, what does that look like for you in terms of creating what they need um, mm-hmm. in terms of culture versus you know, trying to tell them what they should do, right? So I think exactly. that's comp- that's beautiful. And so, where what are you all looking at going in terms of forward? And I know that you've you're building a team. And I took a look at your website, and they look like all indigenous and women of color. You know, um, you look like you have a great team. And tell us about Teddy and how Teddy's helping people too. <laughs> oh my goodness, Teddy. <laughs> Teddy is my beautiful doggy, golden doodle. Um, yeah, he just entered our life a few weeks ago, and he's been bringing so much joy. Um, and definitely one. I actually need to get him on our website because he's one of the the newest team members of Indigenous Circle of Wellness. Um, <laughs> he's definitely a great support in in my wellness as well as uh, you know so many others. So I'd like to share photos of him and brighten up other people's days. Um, (laughs) But yeah, where are we headed? You know, first of all, I need to do some rest. I need to take a nap. (laughs) That's where I'm headed first. (laughs) It's to slow down a bit. You know, one of the things I'd like to mention is that although I had always had the intention of Indigenous Circle of Wellness growing into um, like us growing and offering more resources and being a group practice with more practitioners and um, wellness providers and a team, I had never imagined that it would happen this quickly. I thought in 10, when I first opened about four years ago, I'm like, I think in 10 years we'll like be like a small group practice, you know, like three, four people. Um, Where we just, we just came up on our fourth um, anniversary of the practice being in existence. And we're at about, I think we're at, oh my goodness, because we just hired someone. So we're like 50, a team of 15 at this point. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> amazing. And, you know, six of those folks are our therapists. Um, and we have, yeah, we just have this incredible team. And I'm just like, I sometimes gonna pinch myself because I'm like, oh my goodness, is this real? Like this is we're doing this, you know. Um, so where we're headed now is one. It is actually I'm truly um, looking forward to some more rest because with so much growth in such a short amount, sorry, in such a short amount of time, um, it's it's been a lot of work and it's um, and I just need to rest a little bit to kind of look at or ground myself in like, Hey, what is the next step? Is it that we open more offices in here in Southern California? Is it that we open an office in other parts of the country that we're seeing a huge need for? We get a lot of requests from folks in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Um, and you know, I want to meet the needs of the community. So, but it also, you know, I'd had to establish, um, a business entity in each of those places. That's a lot of work. <laughs> um, there's so many different things that go into creating a practice so 
much admin. I mean, I do so much more admin now than I do any type of therapy at this point because um, it's it's needed. So, you know, I kind of want to figure out like what what is I'm not sure yet what the next next kind of phase or um, part of this is. I think for now, at least for the next um, at least the next six months to a year is like being okay with where we're at right now because Mm -hmm. what we've been what we've done so far has you know been incredible and I just want us to be able to like like just like be in that you know for a little longer and then we can continue the growth from there um makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but there's so many asks like I so (laughs) yeah I get so many different like you you know and I love ideas and I want to do them and I'm just like it takes so much time and financial resources too. Cause you know, starting the practice, I started with like a couple thousand dollars in my savings account. So it wasn't like we had any type of like funding or investors or anything like that. It was just, you know, a very, uh, very small amount of money that I had put aside for like my, our first office. So even from the time that we opened our first office, which was really tiny to now, like even the space has grown, which is great. So having an actual physical space for community has been really wonderful. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure yet what the next steps are. I know and one that's thing. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know one thing I do that it's an intention for sure. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I I really really would like to have a native directory of wellness providers, mm-hmm. and not just therapists, but other wellness providers and healers. That is specific to, um, you know, Native and Indigenous people because we don't have that. There's other directories out there. So we've kind of like been, a. I mean, if anyone calls us and needs support and if we have resources in other states, we connect them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other Native therapists out there. Yeah. And there are other wellness practitioners out there that we just need to, you know, have a, a website. So if there's anyone out there that wants to <laughs> help me out with this... <laughs> There's a request. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. It's so needed. And in, in fact, I'm working with this other group and they, they were wanting um, someone to help with t- different parts, sort of, I don't want to say ceremonial, but like somebody who's spiritual and grounded. And I what I appreciate about the group, one woman said, well, who's this person? Like was really protective, right? Like we want to bring the right people in these spaces. So you know, thinking about this this list, that would be amazing because it's like this is the go to list of people that are respected that do this work, and so that that would be amazing. Yes. And and as I was saying, like that's okay to not know. Sometimes I, I love that you're in reflection of like, you know what? I right now we just need to kind of ground and and really build what we have and get in a good place before we kind of you know think about the next the next iteration of what that will look like. Um, so two quick questions. One is, you know, the work that you do, you know, you, you're all about wellness, community wellness, individual wellness, family wellness. We're going into the holidays, you know, and I hear that during this time is when people start to feel sad, lonely, there there are all kinds of triggers that are happening. And 
So what would you recommend to our listeners? Uh, What sort of recommendations would you give folks, particularly if they don't have the resources or maybe they're not ready to go see a therapist or, you know, help themselves in that way, but what other ways can they um, access different uh, activities and for them to really help themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that um, I think we always got to keep on checking in about because, you know, as time shifts and things are changing, I feel like it's constantly, we're constantly in different transitions. Um, it's important to to check in with ourselves. So one thing I would say first is actually that is to check in with oneself and also what asking yourself the question of like, what grounds you? What is the thing that centers you. It might be a few different things, um, but what might that be for you? For me, there's a few um, things that really ground me, which is being outside, being out in nature. Being in LA, there's not a ton of nature that you can access, but there are some places that I have, um, that I I do have access to and, and I go to. And the reason why I say that is that in order for us to truly be well, we have to first be grounded. Um, and I know at the, at the beginning, you also shared about meditation. So what are also some practices that maybe we've drifted off a little bit from that we need to make sure that we're being very intentional about ensuring that it's part of our daily routine or weekly routine so that we stay grounded? Because when we're grounded, the choices that we make are they're, they're just more sound or they're more in alignment with where we're at at that time. Because right now, a lot of folks are at capacity, huge burnout rate. Um, I think in general, around this time of year, folks start to really slow down and um, want to go into more reflection mode, which is great. But because of the constant need for productivity or, or what we think is you know, we had to stay productive or, um, the season of, um, of the holidays of like having to feel like this pressure to buy presents or be everywhere. (laughs) Um, this, these are all real things that come up and it feels so overwhelming for folks, um, because it is, it is really overwhelming. And as you mentioned, especially with, um, you know, we're still very much in this pandemic, you know, what we're noticing or I'm noticing is that um, there's, it, it's just been like a layer. It's very, it's, it's been layered um, stress and um, different experiences. So I think what I w- really want to offer folks as a reminder um, is grounding as well as it's okay to say no, really holding your boundaries. Once you check in with yourself, like, do I have capacity to do that? Do I want to do that? If I say yes, is it because I want to say yes or because I feel like I'd I'd feel guilty if I didn't? And we should never say yes because of guilt, right? Because then that we hold on to that and it becomes resentment and that's not healthy for us or others. So I I'm wanting folks to practice <laughs> to um, build that muscle around no or not right now, maybe later. Um, An offering that was provided to me and that I really hold on to is like, if I'm asked something and I'm not really sure 
yet if I want to say yes to it, even if I am sure and I just want some time for reflection, is I say, let me get back to you on that. Sleep on it. Allow yourself to have one night, at least one night's good rest to to check in the next day and be like, yep, I really want to do that. I'm going to do that. Or nope, it doesn't feel good. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I'm going to say no, (laughs) or I'm going to say next time, or this is a better time or option. What I'm hearing from a lot of folks in the community, friends, family, clients, um, and just in general is folks are burned out. They're tired and they keep on saying yes. And that's harmful to, you know, to their being. And so those are like some things that I really think um, would be helpful for folks and like tips for wellness. Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to be hard to do it. I always say if it feels challenging to do it and it feels awkward and weird for you, then you're on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, that feels so weird. I can't believe I said no. And you're like holding your breath. Like, yeah, that means you're doing it right. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Now I understand. So you heard this from Monique, you know, number one, check in with self, you know, ask yourself what grounds you, what centers you. And number two, practice groundness. So whatever that may mean, going back to some of these practices of meditation, prayer, whatever, whatever grounds you. And number three, you know, working on your boundaries, learn to say no um, practice saying no. And I love number four's tip, and that is to create some space before making a decision. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. I love what you said, get in a good night's rest and wake up and then, you know, what feels right. Uh, you know, what, what I've learned about this sort of work is like our body knows before we mentally know. Mm-hmm. So however your body's responding to whatever a request or whatever the su- decision you have to make, your body already is like, no, or yeah, you know, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's our brain that gets in the way because it's like trying to make it you know, rational, I guess, or whatever. But those are great tips. Thank you so much, Monique. So um, we went, we talked a lot in terms of like reminiscing about, you know, your childhood and hearing about grandpa and grandma and how they have been so instrumental in your life and how you arrived in this space of creating this amazing company, this organization and doing mental um, wellness, community wellness, family wellness, and offering some tips for folks. What's what's bubbling for you right now? And, and what do you want to offer final offerings to our listeners before we sign off? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I definitely would say what's bubbling for me um, right now is is rest. <laughs> definitely rest. And I, I shared that earlier because it's, it's definitely needed. Um, but I also wanted to share with folks is that, you know, especially our Native and Indigenous listeners is that if you see a need and your heart is there, like go for it, you know, to, to, to create the very things that we wish we had and know that it is possible and that there are folks doing this work. 
I will say that it has been incredibly scary. And there has been many times where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm scared. <laughs> um, but I did it anyways. And we're doing it. And, you know, I think the sometimes the thing that holds us back the most is fear. And I think back to my grandparents' experience of leaving their home and to travel to a, and live in a whole new place. I can just imagine how scary that was for them. And they did it. And they did it by also offering so much love and support to others. So they've always made so much. Um, they remind me of like how possible um, things are. And I, other thing I want to mention is that we don't do this alone. We do this in community. We do this with family, with friends. And so for folks that are have ideas or are interested in creating something new, creating a business, creating an organization, creating a podcast, writing a book, whatever that might be, is that we have so many other folks around us to support and that we need to reach out. Um, I never, ever say that I've done this on my own. It has been a community effort and um, family and friends who have supported me tremendously throughout throughout the journey. And um, so just kind of, you know, for, your, for ourselves to check in with like, who needs to be a part of that circle, that space for you, that is your, your team, your peeps, you know, um, because we're needed in all the spaces and you know, that one saying of like, you know, if you're not invited to the table, you got to build your own, like, yep. And we build them very, we actually build better tables. So, <laughs> so definitely do that. <laughs> so beautiful. I appreciate how you ended. There's nothing I can say to, to close that, but you did that so well. I'll just say, thank you, Jadeja, my younger sister. I, I humbly and just gratefully appreciate you taking time. I do want you to get some rest and give Teddy a hug for me. And yeah. I look forward to the day that I actually get to meet you in person and give you a hug. And I look forward to that. So oh, I would love that so much. <laughs> soon, soon. Yes. So well wishes. Thank you, listeners. Talk to you all soon.